Hey everyone, welcome to the Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So today you'll be hearing from Unique Hammond, who I've been so excited to have on. If you are part of Lacey Phillips' community, you'll probably already know who Unique is, and you'll probably already know what the Bean Protocol is. But to give you a little rundown, because we're going to be talking about the Bean Protocol in this episode a lot, it's basically a nutrition plan that helps people heal from the inside out using beans and a really clean diet. So you're basically supposed to eat six to eight half cup servings of beans or lentils a day. No gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine, no processed foods, no factory farmed meats. So it's it's incredibly clean eating. And what the beans do is they bind to the bile in your stomach and help the body detoxify that much faster. And a lot of what we also cover is Unique's journey with Crohn's disease, which she had for many years. Um, she talks about how she tried everything and she was already really athletic and fit and couldn't really figure out why she wasn't able to heal and what was going on. She was working with Western medicine and nothing was working for her until she tried this protocol and started to dive into nutrition. So that's kind of the little preview that I'll give you, but Unique is so good at telling her story and helping us understand how impactful nutrition is when we use it correctly and how mental health and mindfulness ties this all together as well. So I hope you guys enjoy. If you think a friend might benefit from this episode, go ahead and send it along. And please, as always, let us know what you think. And thank you so much for being here. Love you. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you on the flip side. So the question I'd love to ask you first is, how do you like to start your day off? Do you have any morning routines or rituals that you go to? I do. I have a couple. I, um, since my illness, since in, when I was really sick, I spent years literally not sleeping. And um, the sun rising was kind of a sign that I made it through another night of absolute hell. And anybody who has a chronic illness or pain knows that for whatever reason, or even a flu, it's worse at night. So for me, it was like surviving the night was always a feat. And the sun rising was my emblem of hope. It was like, okay, I made it through another day. Now I can kind of like get after this thing again. When the pain would kind of, it wouldn't ever go away, but it would subside mildly to like, instead of a 10 it would go to like a nine or an eight. And that reprieve would be my space where I would continue to research, you know, what I could possibly try next or whatever. So when I got better, watching the sunrise was a big part of my ritual of like, okay, watch every sunrise or as many as possible and um, meditate for 20 minutes every day, once in the morning, once at night, I do Vedic meditation. And, um, and then try to, if I'm feeling fantastic, then I do a 30 minute body weight workout and, um, William Huss and then uh, breakfast and start my day. Beautiful. So Unique, I will have given a little introduction to who you are and what you're working on, but for those of us who aren't familiar, can you take us through your personal healing journey? And I assume you're referring to Crohn's disease, right? Yes. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your journey through healing. 
Um, my journey through healing was kind of <laughs> treacherous. Um, and it's fun that I can laugh about it now, but because um, I can. It actually brings me incredible joy to look back and know that it's in my my history instead of in my present. Um, so I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease somewhere in 2013. Prior to that, I just had really bad, what started off as mild stomach, transient stomach things that just kind of um, slowly over time. And after I saw a few, you know, GI doctors and we couldn't really figure out what was wrong with me. I just had really bad stomach pain and acid reflux and um, pain in my back. And it was just really strange. But every time we drew blood, there, my inflammatory markers were not showing. And it didn't really speak to like, okay, there's something going on. So I was like, is this IBS? And this is not an uncommon story is what I've learned to understand now um, over the past many years of, of doing this work and also this research is that a lot of people start off with kind of transient gut issues and don't really get diagnosed with something until much later until a whole cascade of issues or a colonoscopy is taken. Um, so for me, it was kind of similar in the years of my gut issues. I saw a lot of holistic healers and um, from Ayurvedic, Chinese medicine, and, and tried all of the protocols that were available to me um, over 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, really, we, we, we were just kind of chasing it. And things would, would help me for a little while. They would kind of take the edge off, or my stomach would kind of settle down, but it wouldn't really stay that way. It was kind of like the dam would break, and I'd be off in search of something to help me again. And, um, and I really wasn't paying attention. You know, I can be very responsible and say that for myself. I can take responsibility and say I did not pay attention to my body signals because it was transient and it would come and go. I would kind of just blame my stomach issues on something else versus, oh, this is your body telling you that shit is bad. It's not good. And it's headed to like a really bad place. But I couldn't comprehend that because I've been healthy my whole life. So to think about like, oh, this is like my body giving me a signal that I need to course correct. I need to change the way I'm living my life. I need to change the way I'm eating. I just didn't have any tools to think that way at that point. I was just like, oh, this is so annoying. It's slowing me down. It's interfering with my work and my family. And, you know, make this thing go away. Um, so, you know, doctors were quick to be like, okay, take Nexium or something for your acid reflux, but we can't find anything wrong. Um, so as the holistic path didn't work and as the, I started getting deeper into the medical, they thought maybe I had parasites that were not showing up in stool tests. So we did a few rounds of exploratory antibiotics, by the way, bad idea. Um, and that was really the beginning of the end where my gut would no longer hold anything in it. It was just like food in the mouth, food out you know, and um, I was pretty much just running to the bathroom constantly and, and dropping weight pretty rapidly and, um, and just in really horrible pain that I couldn't say it was coming from my gut because it was really like up in my back and in my shoulders and it was radiating everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and then my gut was kind of showing the results of all that. So I spent a long time chasing the phantom or the Freddy Krueger that was living in my my body, my stomach, um, until I had the colonoscopy. And then they were like, oh yeah, you have severe Crohn's disease and here's your path forward with the medical system. And I think that that really was my wake up call. Even though I had deep seated belief 
that holistic world could heal me up to that point it hadn't been able to help me and all of the healing modalities that i had tried couldn't take the edge off really you know after a while it was kind of like nothing could really get to the depth of my disease and once i knew i had crohn's you know i really did go back and kind of reassess diet lifestyle everything and unfortunately for me just nothing at that point seemed to stop the dam and um, I spent more time in bed uh, than I ever have in my life. I spent more time walking the halls at night um, and just sobbing 90% of the time. And I, I think what is incredibly humbling is chronic disease doesn't just humble your body. It humbles your mind. It takes away your ability to feel happiness and joy. And, you know, a smile is almost a grimace versus a smile. Um, and I can remember it like it's yesterday because I was so conscious to the entire process of my body absolutely falling apart. Wow. Yes, I can't imagine like the pain that you were going through. How did you manage that pain? And did mindfulness or spirituality come in at all for you in, in these really deep and painful parts of it? And do you feel like you started to lose trust or lose faith in the universe for back, you know, lack of a better way of saying that? Like, how did that change your perspective on life, being in that much pain? It's a roller coaster of emotion. I think there were times when I was just trying to understand the lesson. And, you know, I, and I did. The lesson was that I had not been in a relationship with my body. I had been using my body for my joy and my pleasure and for my life. But I never contemplated what it needed to survive and to be my vehicle through life. So it was a very... It was a huge wake-up call that as I, when you don't sleep, you have a lot of time to think, unfortunately, and fortunately. And I was really able to take stock of my life and realize that I had used my body and abused my body, but I had never actually contemplated what my body needed beyond, you know, some vegetables and a salad and, you know, um, but really also my relationship to my body was skin deep. It was very superficial. It was how I looked and how my genes were and you know, it was, if I looked healthy, I was healthy mentality and my body getting super ill, it, it fell apart at the point where I felt like I was the most athletic and, you know, I was trail running and I was into extreme sports and kiteboarding and it really fell apart at the time that I felt like I was actually the fittest. And it made me realize that when you look at somebody and they look fit, it has nothing to do with their health. Health is a cellular conversation and it is spiritual. So you know, the joke in my life was like, I was raised with parents who meditated and did yoga and I tried meditating and I love yoga. So yoga was, has always been a part of my life, but I'd always tried meditating as a young adult and I really just could not sit still. And for anybody who does know human design, like as a manifesting generator, I was just always on the go. Like sitting still was not part of my, and looking back now, I'm like, I chuckled. I'm like, yeah, I just was always on the move. And uh, meditating was incredibly hard for me. So in the years of my illness is when I started to actually listen to meditation tapes and guided meditation tapes. And because I couldn't sleep, they, those 40 minute meditation tapes would actually help me just feel rested, even though I wasn't sleeping. Um, so it was, a, it was an absolute reckoning. Crohn's disease was a was an entire experience, body, mind, soul. Like it, it shook me like a rag doll until I surrendered. <laughs> wow. 
I mean, it's amazing that you can look back on it now and look at it as a lesson and have found a way to get through that and turn to, you know, your inner work as well. And I just really appreciate you sharing the sentiment, especially around women, especially look at each other and say, oh, well, if they're thin, if they're athletic, if they look good, they're healthy, I'm doing something wrong. And we're, we all kind of have this idea of what health is commercially but it's just not necessarily the truth at all. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's really not. And I, thank you. I mean, I, it's interesting because in, throughout my life, I've heard of very fit people playing basketball and then dropping dead, right? Right. And, or somebody who runs all the time. And you're like, well, that person runs and they're so fit. How did they die young? And, and I think we have this real disconnect between healthy and healthy looking. Um, because I've been to many gyms in my life and I, we've all seen the person who's fit, but does not look healthy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this idea that a thin person is healthy is, is really misguided because a lot of times what it takes to be that thin is people are starving themselves. Um, people are doing horrible diets and working out and under eating and, you know, the things that women do to fit into that pair of jeans that deems them worthy or acceptable and the things that I did, you know, to fit into those, like, I look back and I'm like, whoa, missing the point, you know, mm. just totally missing the point. I think there, you can't, can you be slender and healthy? Absolutely. But slender doesn't equal healthy. And I think that's the bigger conversation. Yes. Yeah, such an important message. So when did you decide that nutrition was where you were going to turn next? You know, it was interesting if I, again, look at the, the journey of my life, my parents were the first ones who really introduced food as medicine and my dad, especially my mom was kind of taught one by my dad. He, you know, was the first person doing like around, like when macrobiotic came out, he was doing macrobiotic, like he was always in and seeking greater health through nutrition. And so when he had kids, he was very vocal about um, food is medicine. And he was also very vocal, even though he'd spent years being a vegan and a vegetarian and a macrobiotic and all those things. When we came along, he had gone back to eating protein, uh, animal protein. And he really taught that this is medicine. This is, this is food that you eat as medicine and you give, you give thanks to the life that is given for your life. And it was a very spiritual thing. And we also harvested uh, our own food and wild mint and wild lemon balm and everything we used in our home was, you know, we, a lot of it we harvested ourselves, whether it was mushrooms or whatever. So it was really introduced to me at a younger age. And when I left home, it was kind of like, I, I knew the information was in my DNA, but in my present consciousness, it was all about like, oh, hey, look at these people can do all of these things. And they look so healthy. Like I didn't give any uh, weight to the fact that I was young and that my body was constantly buffering for my poor choices. I had no idea. And so I just kind of let go of my upbringing and really gave myself to the go out, party, hit the bar, you know, kind of normal mentality that we, in the world we live in, you know. And it's funny now because with my clients, it's the thing that they can struggle with when they're trying to get healthy. People around them will say, oh, yeah, what are you doing? How can you go? Like, oh, just have one drink or whatever it is. There's this um, social pressure 
and, and quiet social bullying when somebody's different and does something differently. And in those years that I was, you know, partying and meeting people out and having drinks and doing what normal people do, my body never actually tolerated it that well. And I just kind of pushed through because it was like, this is what we do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So when did your, when did you start to notice that you were feeling better? What were you eating and how were you feeding yourself and treating yourself differently when you first started to say, oh my gosh, I'm starting to feel better? So um, really it was when a friend of mine, so in the years that I was struggling and trying all of these different protocols and um, really just anything I could get my hands on, the hardest part with a gut disease and anybody who has any gut issues will know this is that a lot of times things make it worse just right off the bat. You're just worse, not better. And you keep trying because you're like, well, this worked for that person, so I'm going to do it. And your body's just like, nope, not happening. And I had gone through a lot of that. And I was really at the end of my rope. I had the parachute of the medical world of, you know, medicating and cutting out parts of my intestines and all of that good stuff. So I, but I was not quite ready to cross that threshold. And a friend of mine dropped off a book that changed my life. So the protocol that healed me really found me and my friend had not even read the book. And what she told me later, a lot later is that she'd actually dropped the book off at work for me. And since I was so sick, I hadn't been into work for a little while. She then went to my work, picked up the book and brought it and dropped it off at my house. Oh yeah. She was like, I just kept getting this message that you had to have this book. And I was like, Holy shit. Like that's crazy. You know? Mm -hmm. And I was so sick and so skinny and, you know, it was an interesting medicine also, I have to say, is that I ended up with the disease that made me 90 pounds. Like here I was like always paying attention to my weight and working out and here I was just stick and bone. And I, I definitely had a laugh. I was like, well, that's funny. Wow. <laughs> that's the universe kind of like giving me a little hee hee. Mm -hmm. um, and it was horrible. I was like, I will never, ever starve or, you know, punish my body ever again. Um, so, so I read the book and the book was this Dean protocol by this woman, incredible woman. Um, she and I work together to this day, Karen Hurd. And I read the book and it was all around really dealing with um, the health of legumes and how they play this massive role. And you know, I'd been avoiding legumes all my life and the paleo world is a pretty prominent voice in the health world and they really demonize them and I just, you know, and they make you gassy and that's not sexy. So, you know, <laughs> those are my preconceptions around eating legumes. So then when I'm reading this healing, this book about all these people who heal eating legumes, I was just like, okay, first of all, I have a gut disease. Like that is probably the worst idea. And also doctors tell you to not eat fiber. They're like, don't eat fiber because you have all this inflammation in your gut. And you're like, oh my God, that sounds like a horrible idea to eat fiber. And then ultimately it's fiber that, that saves me. So, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's, it's kind of typically how it is yeah. when you go through the Western medicine system, but Wow. So what is it about the beans that's working so well? Is it latching onto something in the gut that's like, uh, I've researched Karen a little bit um, and I love what she's talking about, but can you explain to us what's actually going on, why this is so effective for people? So I do want to say if anybody's listening to this and they have gnarly gut issues, do not go out and start eating beans. It's very much, there's like a healing, there's healing steps to healing the gut so you can actually, um, for some people with like, you know, 
IBS and just kind of more garden variety gut issues, you can start eating beans and slowly, but for everybody else, like with more severe gut issues, you actually, there are steps to healing the gut. But the good news is, is that the gut from the mouth to the anus, it he, those line, those cells heal in three day increments. It's actually one of the fastest healing parts of our body for good reason, because it's what keeps us alive, right? Um, so the beans, to get back to that, the, how they help the body is by the soluble fiber creates kind of this web and it binds with fat. And when I was in school to get my nutrition degree, they're very much like, oh, don't eat a lot of, you know, soluble fiber with food because it'll steal nutrients from you. And it was so interesting to see how close my education got to that knowledge, but not quite putting it all together. And what Karen did is she put it together that your bile is fat, bile fats, you know, and um, those, that bile is excreted by the liver and the gallbladder and so on. And, but most of your most toxic waste is put in your bile for exit in, you know, out and, and excess hormones. And Karen figured out that a lot of health issues are caused from this toxic bile, which by the way, gets recycled 95% if it isn't pulled out through soluble fiber. And most people avoid beans and soluble fiber like the plague. A lot of people have the misconception that just eating oatmeal will be enough, and it's really not. It's, it's a very minimal amount of soluble fiber in oatmeal. It's kind of that slimy factor. In mm. um, but anyway, so yeah, the beans away from fat will actually bind to your bile and pull out the toxic waste. And what was shocking to me, it took me a long time to heal because my body was so far gone by the time I found the protocol, I was three years into an illness that was made worse by multiple rounds of antibiotics, trying to find a phantom something, you know? And um, so I was like, I was pretty far down the rabbit hole as far as like my body basically dying and, um, and just malnourished. So it took me a lot to climb out of that hole. But what surprises me to, to this day is that beans played a massive role in my ability to overcome my autoimmune disorder. Wow. And were you eating like lentils, all beans? Any no, beans? I couldn't, I couldn't tolerate all beans. I am um, my, my body, I, I basically lived on, you know, very simple foods and black beans. Um, I could tolerate, I could tolerate some, um, some like split pea and but other, other ones just didn't sit well with me. So I, I did a lot of, like, people are like, oh, you can't eat the same thing all the time. And, and I'm just here to say that, bullshit, because I ate black beans for probably like four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. Black beans, that was it. Black beans with other, like, simple foods. And, um, yeah, it was, it took me about a year and a half to go into remission. And I've been in remission since, um, going on almost eight years now. Wow, eight years. That's amazing. And I also, yeah, I had no intention, by the way, of becoming a nutritionist or, or a coach and helping other people, which is my career now. Um, I really, I was in a totally different career path. Um, and 20, I was in it for 20 years. I had really no intention of, of changing directions. What were you doing before you went into nutrition? Um, I was in the advertising world. And at that point, I was a, when I was really sick. I was an executive producer at a production company and working with directors and traveling all over the country for productions. And um, when I healed, I actually left that job to take time off and re 
take stock of my life and reevaluate the path I was on. And it was in that time um, that I started saying yes to more education. But I even while going into taking, you know, a health coaching course and then going to school for my nutrition degree, I actually went back and took another job in the advertising business and was working while I was in school. Mm. And so still no intention, of... by the way, of leaving. I was like, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm interested in the education. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kind <laughs> of a 180 out of the advertising world into nutrition and healing. It's amazing. Yeah, I I knew that I had to give back and I'd written a book about my story and put it out. And I really thought that was my, because I made a promise as one does when they're feeling like they're going to die and they're desperate. I made a promise to the universe that if I got better, I would help other people get better. And I thought I would write a book and that would be my contribution. And my way of giving back is by sharing my story that it was possible, no matter how dire the situation looked, that it was possible. And I just felt like I wanted people to know it through my own journey. And, and then I kept saying, yes, like I'd trained as a life coach with Martha Beck probably 15 years earlier or something. And I had done that for myself as well. I was just curious about the tools to help, to help myself or my friends or my family move beyond the barriers in life. Um, instead of having to always go back to figure that out, you know, how to in the moment be able to just move through things. So there was a lot of interesting foreshadowing for sure. Mm-hmm. I love the name of your book. Is this the book called Your Taste Buds Are Assholes? Yes. <laughs> it's uh, fantastic. What was writing uh, this book like? Was it kind of a natural process for you as you studied your own journey or how did the book come about? It was, it was, pretty, it was pretty fluid, you know, and I did it soon enough after that I could really remember the journey. And, and honestly, it's a journey I don't think I could ever forget anyway, but I knew I wanted, if I was going to do it, I knew I needed to kind of get on it um, and really try to also figure out a way to, to do it in my voice, you know, where, where my sense of humor comes across. And honestly, now I just um, recorded the audio version for it. There's a lot I would change because in the time that I wrote the book, I was, you know, a few years out of my illness. And, and I was in the, I was in a, okay, I'm going to eat 95% of the time my healing diet and 5% of the time I'm going to have these other things that I have been dying to have, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was in that exploratory phase when I wrote the book. And it's funny now because I I go back and I realize I would have changed the tone a little bit to, um, you know, like what you can get away with in the end to um, the most important thing is your health period and everything beyond that is secondary. Mm. Would it take you committing a hundred percent to heal or did you have a little room like that 5%, 10%? I did not. You did not have the room for that. (laughs) No healing took a hundred percent, but I, I am very transparent with the people who follow me on Instagram and my own clients that, you know, when I would start to feel better, I would challenge it and I would have something off protocol and it would cause me to go into these horrendous flares. And I remember mentally being like, I didn't do very much, or I just had a bite of my daughter's birthday cake or I just whatever. And it was amazing to me to realize how toxic sugar was. Um, And just a little bit of whatever it was, X, Y, or Z, the tiniest taste, by the way, 
and I would be in bed for days. Wow. And any normal person would have been like, well, fuck this protocol. It's not working. Like I'm broken and I'm not getting, and I had moments like that. But what I realized was that in the healing process, the body needs all in. There is no room for messing around, especially when you're as sick as I was. Like it's a hundred percent all in heal. When I finally got that message, which by the way, took me a little while because I kept going, well, I'm just going to try a little bit of that. Boom. Horrible pain, horrible pain and suffering and pain. And I remember being to Karen, you're like, Karen, but I just had a taste. And she's like, sugar's inflammatory, you know? And if you have inflammation in your body, it's just going to feed it. It doesn't matter if it's from the natural source, like a date or your daughter's birthday cake. It's all going to show up as sugar and inflammation and it's going to feed the inflammation. And I just remember not being able to wrap my head around that, you know? Right. And fruits too. Like you would think that that would just be healthy, but the sugar would be too much, huh? Yeah. It just breaks down really too quickly. I mean, a lot of fruit doesn't have as much fiber as it used to, or as much as a wild fruit does mm -hmm. um, because of how we bred fruit. And so it's a lot sweeter and less fiber. I mean, fruit is better than straight up sugar because it has fiber in it, um, but which can help slow it down, but it's still for a sick unwell body. It's still uh, plays a role in the inflammation cycle is what I discovered firsthand. I, cause I, you know, I was going to challenge that. Karen was like, no fruit, no sugar, no this, no that. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. As soon as I was better, I'm like, ooh, it's peach season and bam, on my back. And wow. yeah, what I realized is that my body wasn't resilient at that stage. You know, I had squandered my resilience and with a lot of bad choices and until I was able to support my body getting back to resilience, it really couldn't tolerate anything. And that was a very hard lesson that I definitely had to learn the hard way. Yeah. So how about today? So now you're years out of uh, your sickest times. How are you eating now? Are you still on the protocol? I am. I am. I am probably more days, more often than not, more months than not, I'm 100% on protocol. Um, I don't eat a lot of fruit. I just, uh, in the summer times, I sometimes have berries and, but I am, my taste buds went from being total sugar addicts to absolutely retrained. And now I just take absolute pleasure in feeling phenomenal. And, um, you know, I think in the beginning I was doing it because it was life or death and I was really restricting myself and that was my mentality. And somewhere along the road, um, and even after I healed, I still had kind of like that. I did that to heal, but now I'm going to go back to, you know, kind of normal life a little bit. Like not really, but kind of like 90, 10, 80, 20. Mm -hmm. And I tried that for a year and my body just didn't feel as good. And I realized I had a choice. I could choose something that made me feel phenomenal, or I could try to restrict myself and constantly make fight with it. And, you know, and what I realized is like restriction is something you can only do for so long, but choice is powerful. So ever since I chose to be in protocol as my way of life, I don't walk around feeling deprived or you can have a piece of pie in front of me and I have no desire. And if I did, I would taste it. Like that's not an issue for me, but most of the time at 99.9% of the time, I have no interest in sweet things at all. Mm -hmm. I'd love to ask you too about intuitive eating because it's kind of a term that's floating around the wellness industry and people are trying to make sense of how to intuitively eat, but it, how do you perceive this? 
I don't because what most people intuitively eat is sweet things is what I've discovered. When I ask them like, oh, what did you intuitively eat? They're like, well, I had a bunch of oranges and I had a smoothie and I had some cucumber. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's tough to intuitively eat because of how um, geared towards sugar our body is for one. Um, and two, because we are a product of our environment. So is the intuition being filtered through um, environment? Is it being filtered through memory, taste memory, family life growing up? Like what is, what is, where is this intuition coming from? And because what I have discovered in the years of coaching people is that the thing that heals is really simple and it's not necessarily sweet. And um, to watch one person after another heal makes you realize like a lot of what we're drawn to, a lot of what I was drawn to in my life was sweet things. You know, I was drawn to sweet. I loved sweet things. I just, if it was sweet, I, I had a love affair with it, you know? And if I look at my, my intuitive eating, I can also say it was somewhat unconscious eating because it was what I wanted versus what my body needed. So I would say the intuitive eating thing is interesting. Whenever I have clients who talk about wanting to intuitively eat, um, you know, a lot of times it takes them down the path of more palatable foods. So it's a tough one for me because I think that there are a lot of filters around where the intuition is coming from. If you are, if you've done your work and you also are really in tune with your body, then it might be a different situation. But I think, I think that's a tough one. Yeah. I love that you're breaking it down like that. I am definitely going through some sugar addiction, as I think most of us are who aren't really paying attention. Do you have any tips for people that are trying to break a sugar addiction or just retrain the taste buds a little bit to not crave it so much? Well, that's, I think that's the thing. I think first it is deprivation of your taste buds um, to kind of move away from sweet things. And then when you enter it back in, noticing how your body responds, what happens for a lot of my clients, because if they're on a longevity plan with me, you can have fruit, you can have alcohol, you know, you have more quote unquote fluidity in life, but 90, 80% of your food should be really in honor of what your body needs to maintain homeostasis, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for those clients, they'll go, oh yeah, I had some dark chocolate and oh my God, I never noticed that it makes me racy. It makes me, my mind feels this, you know, clouded and I feel exhausted later in the day and all of these things that they never noticed because when you have a steady stream of sweet things going in, your body's constantly buffering for that. And when you pull it away and then your body rebalances and your blood sugar rebalances, which takes a couple of weeks, but it takes longer for your taste buds to kind of like stop craving, especially as women, most of my clients crave sweet things and I really bring this to their attention that right before your cycle and for some women right before ovulation. Mm -hmm. And if you are onto yourself and you know, oh, look, I'm craving sugar and it's right before my period, go and have some fat, some nut butter, something else. And a lot of times that will quench that desire for sweet things because a lot of times the desire for sweet is really a desire for nutrients. Um, ah, so maybe I always crave olives now, actually, which is, is heavy in fat, right? Yeah. Before I cycle. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So you can kind of replace it and nip it with something else. Well, because if your body uses sugar, right? Glucose. Mm -hmm. Our body breaks everything down to sugar. 
the the goal of human is to give your body the longest food to break down to sugar. That's the goal. Not to give it a quick fix of sugar, but to actually give it something that it has to really undenature and break down slowly, right? Like beans are a slow carb because they have so many fibers in it. Vegetables, everything is ultimately broken down to sugar in one form or another. So the goal as a human should be to make it take the longest to break down. Oh, that's a great way of understanding that and putting that. I also want to ask you about where you feel like the blind spots in the wellness industry are and Western medicine too. Like what are people kind of missing about overall health and well-being as it relates to nutrition or just medicine in general? It's probably a quite a somewhat controversial point of view, but um, when I was in school, because I had gone through my illness journey before I went to school, and what I realized about going to school, and I loved my education, is that everybody, the reason why every nutritionist out there and every dietitian and everybody saying the same thing is because the information is really the same. And um, it's driven by these um, studies that are very small snapshots in life. And a lot of the studies are not necessarily um, complete and but these studies are taken and then practices are put into place because of these studies that are, you know, that are missing a lot of information. Like the big one right now is everybody's on vitamin D. And I feel like everybody's being over-prescribed vitamin D because there's this fear of vitamin deficiency, vitamin D deficiency. And, um, but I look at numbers that they're having them take vitamin D and they're like, oh, they're, you know, 30%. And I'm like, 30% is perfectly fine. And but the studies are like, oh, everybody should be taking vitamin D. And I and, and vitamin D is a pro-hormone, which is a very delicate balance in the body. Mm. Sunshine. Now, obviously, a lot of people are working indoors. So, um, you know, nobody's getting enough sunshine, basically, is one of the problems. But also, I think beyond that, that there's this idea that everybody should have around the same amount of vitamin D in their body. And I just, I question those things because I feel like, what is your lineage? Where did you grow up? You know, I, I feel like there's so many different components to why one person would have a number of vitamin D and another person would have a different number. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you grew up in a place that only has three months a year of sunshine, you may not actually need as much vitamin D as a person who might grow up in a different climate. And I feel like there's just too many factors at play for us to be saying that everybody should have the same amount of vitamin D in their body. Um, so things like that I look at and, you know, you have so many really respected people in the health world saying everybody should take vitamin D and everybody should take a vitamin C and everybody should do this. And I, and I, I just feel like it's this kind of out of control machine where everybody's in an echo chamber and repeating the same information. Right. Totally. It's, it's interesting to learn how to use our discernment because I'll see somebody that I really respect just as you're saying with a new idea and I'll be like, Oh, that applies to me. I'm going to try it. And then it might not resonate or sit well. And I'm like, okay, how can I, how can I do better research here and really dive into what I truly need as an individual body and little ecosystem here? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it's, Ill, I don't think it's not, there, there's, it's not well-intentioned. I just mm -hmm. think, that, um, I feel like there is a, call for people to really advocate for themselves and even if somebody is, you respect is saying oh you need this this and this and that to really sit with yourself and and really do the research and look at some of these studies that they're referencing like a lot of people just take it 
um, at, you know, because somebody they respect is saying it versus actually going and looking at those studies. And if you look at the language, even from really um, well-respected doctors and functional practitioners, they're saying this might, there's always might in there, on, and this may be, this might help you fight corona, or this might help you X, Y, or Z. There's always that might because it, these are hypotheses and these are theories that they're putting into play that are not necessarily fact or factual. They're possibilities. And I think what happens is that these possibilities, people go, oh, this is going to help me. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Mm -hmm. um, and so the language is actually the biggest key to look for in the health world. So um, I think what really, what caused me to want to practice the main protocol was that Karen did something different than anybody else. And she looked at our physiology and she, you know, and she's helped just more people than she can count get back to health. And I don't know if any one person can say that like she can. I just love her zest. I think she's 63 and this woman is not slowing down. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah. She's like, you know, for a lot of people, it's the backside of the mountain and they're kind of like easing into a different pace. No, she's still like running. She's still going. Uh-huh. I feel like people are aging a little differently now. It's funny because now that I'm almost 45, I'm like, 50? 50, so <laughs> Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, you know, people can do for their health and slowing down is eating healthy fats, getting sunshine, um, eating, you know, eating a well-balanced diet. I think all of those things actually help to slow down the aging process, you know. Mm -hmm. Are there any other practices that you're integrating right now that are making you feel really good outside of nutrition? The meditation has been, has worked wonders for me, but I have to say just cutting caffeine, you know, I'll go through cycles where sometimes I'll have matcha, sometimes I won't, and I notice a difference of how it piles on to any stress or anxiety that I feel, it totally piles on. Mm. And a life without stimulant seems scary at first, but I have to say that the living for calm and eating for calm and having a calm nervous system and um, living in a space of calm has been one of, you know, since healing my body has been one of the more healing practices um, beyond meditation. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. What kind of meditation? You said Vedic meditation earlier. Is that what you're practicing? I do. Great. Can you remind me what Vedic meditation entails? It's a kind of a branch off from uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation, um, where you get a mantra. Mm -hmm. And the mantra isn't a word, it's a sound. And the sound bypasses your monkey mind and really pulls you into um met that meditative state and i i just love it i love it because you're taught that there's no wrong way to meditate you sit for 20 minutes your mind might be crazy with thoughts but it's part of the detoxifying process of your mind to allow to notice those thoughts not to react to them and just to really continue to pick up your mantra when you find yourself lost in thought um and it's been the first meditation practice that i've actually been able to do on a daily on a daily basis that's wonderful i bet that's so helpful well unique is there anything that i haven't asked you yet that you want to touch on before we go um just take care of your incredible bodies i think um the lesson that i learned the hard way for myself was waiting until it was broken down to really shift my relationship to it and 
just know that your body is constantly buffering for you. Um, and that for a lot of people, disease only shows up when the body can no longer buffer. And, you know, it then struggles for homeostasis. So really just live, you know, create and live a loving relationship with your body and really feed it what it needs because the human body is absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I live in absolute reverence of what these incredible bodies can do. So awesome. Mm, I love that. And remind people where they can find you. I'll link everything in the description, but if people want to work with you or get to know you, how can they connect with you? I, my website is yourgreat.com, uh, Y-O-U-R-E, great.com. And I'm on Instagram, uh, Unique Hammond. Um, and those are two places that you can find me. Awesome. I've been looking through the testimonials that people have written about working with you and they're just incredible. Like you're helping so many people. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And it's such a pleasure to meet you. Right. Thank you all so much again for listening to this episode today. And thanks to Unique for coming on. You guys can find her on Instagram at Unique Hammond and her website is yourgreat.com. I'll link both of those in the description below. You can find me on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore. My website's HelenDenham.com. You can find blog posts there, links to my music, past podcast episodes, and you can even sign up for my self-care Sunday newsletter if that feels fun for you. I send that out weekly and yeah, I think that's it for me. Thanks again, you guys, and I'll talk to you on the next one.